Equally at home on modern and historical instruments, Wieland has a diverse repertoire spanning over four centuries and is in constant demand as a soloist and chamber musician. He has received glowing responses from audiences and critics across the globe, including a gramophone award for his recording of the Vivaldi Bassoon Concertos with La Serenissima. As a concerto soloist, Peter has performed in many prestigious venues including the Musikverein in Vienna, the Berlin Philharmonie, the Köln Philharmonie, Wigmore Hall in London, and the Lincoln Center in New York. He has recorded the Weber Bassoon Concerto and Strauss Duet Cogitino with the Scottish Chamber Orchestra for Lynn Records. In 2016, Peter premiered a concerto written especially for him by American composer Michael Gordon with the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment at the South Bank Centre. Whelan is the founder and artistic director of Ensemble Marcius, whose debut album of Zelenka Sonatas received a supersonic award. This album, along with their second album of Quartets and Concertos by Johann Friedrich Fasch, was named Chamber Choice by the BBC Music Magazine. Whelan has also collaborated with the Belsia Quartet, François Lelou, Mitsuko Uchida, Maria Joël Pires, London Winds, Robert Levine, Christian Bizaudenhout, Andreas Ottersama, and Monica Huggett. He also appears with Tori Amos on her album Night of Hunters on the Deutsche Gramophone label. Wieland's orchestral work has seen him playing with the Chamber Orchestra of Europe, the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment with Sir Simon Rattle, the London Symphony Orchestra, Australian Chamber Orchestra, the English Baroque Soloist with Sir John Elliot Gardiner, Mahler Chamber Orchestra, Le Musicien du Louvre, and Opère Zurich. Wieland is a professor of bassoon at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama and visiting professor of the Royal Academy of Music. He gives masterclasses at conservatories across the UK and Europe, including the CNSMD Lyon and the Music Hochschule Strasbourg. Welcome back to Legends of Reed. I'm your host, Joanne Sukumaran. I'm a bassoonist based in Singapore. Today's episode features an interview with Peter Whelan. Before we get to that interview, here's a message from our sponsor. Legends of Reed is sponsored by Barton Cane. Barton Cane is your stock for quality double reed cane. Their cane is processed with precision equipment completely designed by them. Your days of saying no to happy hours are over. Use coupon code LEGENDSOFREED 
all one word for free shipping on any order. Take back your life with Barton Kane. And welcome back to the episode of Legends of Read. I'm your host, Joanne Sukumaran Abusunis from Singapore. Today, I have uh, the wonderful pleasure of having with me, Peter Whelan. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Joanne. It's a big pleasure to be here. Uh, how are you doing today? Good. Um, it's a nice day. It's, I'm in London at the moment. Um, it feels like one of the first days of spring. Um, I mean, there's a lot of difficult things going on in the world, but at least the, the sun is shining outside. And um, yeah, I have a free day and I'm very, very happy to to talk uh, about uh, things bassoon with you. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I can see the sunshine streaming in behind you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I always wanted to invite you on my podcast um, because I've seen your very creative videos that you released during the lockdown right and then the, I saw that you have an album coming out so yeah I thought it was really high time that I sent you an invite yeah oh well thank you so much yeah I, I, I remember it feels like a long time ago the 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 you know the lockdown the first lockdown and nobody quite knew what to do with their time uh, and those I remember there's a few weeks of relaxation and then a little kind of creative panic and I said, oh, I should do something. And, like, um, uh, and I, I remember thinking, oh, there's a few little pieces by Taylorman and um, Bach. I, I really wanted to do something. It was a CD many times. I'd never found a good place. So uh, I just experimented a bit, you know, with this a cappella app. And um, now there's a lot of that. It feels very old fashioned already, um, if, if you think back on it. But at the time, it, yeah. it hit at a good moment. <laughs> and um, uh, it was really interesting, a little experiment. Uh, uh, Especially when it when it took off, because for a bassoonist, you know, we 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 don't get a lot of uh, like social media popularity very easily. But I remember my my computer was little little pings all the time for like uh, I kept like I felt like a, a, a social media star for for like five minutes. <laughs> but it was very nice. It was a, it was yeah. a very experience, and to see the video go around the world and get comments in different languages. Um, uh, it was really interesting. It's a bit like a drug. I can imagine it could be a thing to deal with all the time. Yeah, yeah it's a dopamine, right? Like every time you get the ping. Like. <laughs> a little reward, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I remember that you were also singing, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, no? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, well, one video I played a lot of, like, uh, or too many bassoons. Um, and then I, I decided, yeah, I was going to try singing, uh, which is also uh, quite tricky. I did a little bit of singing when I was a, a student. Um, so I, I, I did um, one Bach and Tata with uh, alto tenor solo, Zeitwachstam, um, it's called. And yeah, the tenor part was was kind of fun to do because it's more where my voice would be. But counter tenor, not at all. And that nearly killed me because um, we were just chatting before the podcast about this recording thing, you know, the, the, the pressure of recording and uh, with the a cappella, you had to do everything in one take, so uh, you couldn't really edit it. So you know, by the end, your voice is tired, and you think, "Don't make a mistake." Everything else, the bassoon stuff goes easy, tenor stuff goes easy. And I ended up having to call some friends of mine, like counter tenors, to say, "How can I keep my voice going?" Uh, you know, it was really nearly killed me, but it was nice to see a a, a good reaction to, to the video. Wow, I didn't know there was so much like at uh, uh, stake. <laughs> <laughs> no, nearly died. It was so so stressful. 
Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This this is so wonderful. So I I would like to um get to know you. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about your musical upbringing. I know you're from Dublin, Ireland, right? That's right. Yeah. So I, I I'm from Ireland. Um. You know, there's not so many bassoonists from from Ireland. You know, it's always an unusual thing. Of course, now there's there's a few young people who are playing, but it, um yeah, I played. I came from just outside Dublin. Um, I played piano when I was very little, um, and, and I loved that. I loved always loved music. And then at a certain point, um, when I was, became a teenager, I really wanted to play another instrument. I wanted to play in an orchestra with other people. Um, and at first, I really wanted to play the violin, but it wasn't really possible to do piano and violin. But um, then I saw my you know, my friends when I was a teenager going off to to youth orchestras and going off to chamber music courses, and I really wanted that so much. And so my piano teacher at the time, um, her mother organized this um, this special scheme for you know instruments that people don't really want to play so much, like, uh, like our instrument, oboe, bassoon, uh, horn, viola, double bass. I think maybe trombone. And she said, "Well, look, you, we can pay for you to have lessons with, on one of these instruments. You know, you can get a little scholarship to start you, and then you can play in the orchestra." And uh, I chose immediately oboe as I want to play oboe, and. Uh, and her husband um, was an oboist, and she said, "No, no, 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 no! You don't want this in your life. You don't want to have to deal with these little reed problems." And she said, "This is better for you. You use the big one. Just take the bassoon." And so, yeah, I, I, I was, you know, easygoing. Um, I wasn't so so fussed, and I, and I started to play bassoon, and then very quickly, um, well, especially in Ireland, because nobody was playing that instrument, um, I got to play in in wind bands and orchestras and chamber music groups, and then. You catch up very fast with, with, with that world. Um, um, but most of the time I was teaching myself. I had a few lessons from, from this, this um, older guy from the orchestra in Dublin who used to play French and, and modern instrument. But um, most, of the, most of it was just trying to learn yourself. Um, and then I went to university in Dublin to do a music degree, like academic music things. Um, and when I was there, I... Um, Helped earn a bit of money for myself when I was a student by singing in the choir in the in the in the church in the like in the um, in the school in Trinity College in Dublin, and then afterwards, um, uh, well during that time I started to work in in in, in symphony orchestras as as number three and number four when they needed it, and so I, I was totally inexperienced, always terrified, um, sitting in the orchestra waiting around to play low A flats pianissimo, uh, very stressful. Um, and then uh, I said, well, I'm going to go and study this properly uh, and learn how to do it the right way. And I went on a summer school one year um, in a place called Sion in, in Switzerland with, with Sergio Azzolini. Um, and there, yeah, I, I just kind of fell in, in love with him. As so many young people do, he's so charismatic when you're, you know, like uh, 19, 20, 21, 22. Like, who's this guy? Uh um, and we had a good connection. And then I went to, to study with him uh, in Basel for several years and met some really wonderful people there um, and lovely colleagues. I was actually studying at the same time as, 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 as many um, players who are, who are very uh, well known these days, especially like the connection with a guy called Julien Ardi, the, the, the French bassoonist who was studying there at the same time. And Marc Trinel was there and there was a lovely, lovely team of people. Um, and after that, I, I went away and I got my first job in, 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 in the UK. I got a, um, 
a job in um, Bournemouth Symphony Orchestra, which is a kind of a seaside town. Uh, and I stayed there for a few years, again, knowing nothing and trying to find my way into this world of, of uh, you know, the life, the orchestral life in the UK is very fast. Everybody can sight read very well and everybody knows everything. So you have to learn really quickly. And then after that, um, I had a job in um, the Scottish Chamber Orchestra for 10 years, which is a job I absolutely adored. Um, wonderful town. Edinburgh is a, a great place and such lovely colleagues there. And that's when I really started to do a lot of more um, solo work with the orchestra because they really encourage that. They encourage the wind principles to do concertos and to make recordings. And there's lots of lovely opportunities there um, and working I just really loved that size orchestra. Uh, I felt sometimes a bit lost in symphony orchestras. And the bassoon parts are very difficult because you always have to play in symphony orchestras, be able to play pianissimo down very low on the instrument, very difficult high, high things. And in the middle, you're often covered by the rest of the orchestra. But in the chamber orchestra, it's a bit like, um, uh, it's like low and high horns. Like if you're playing Mozart and Beethoven a lot of the time, you can really specialize in being a tenor soloist and the second bassoonist deals with the, the low stuff. Uh, uh, um, and I find that much easier way to, to make music that you're kind of, you've decided that you're a tenor voice rather than a, you know, a, a bass one. Um, so I loved it there. I had, had a great time. Almost the whole time um, I was split between um, um, modern and Baroque instruments. So even before I went to Basel, um, I was really interested in Baroque music and I managed when I was in Ireland to get a, a Baroque bassoon. Uh, and I brought this to, to Sergio and he said, okay, I can also teach you on this. We can work together. So these two things were going um, 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 side by side and uh, throughout my student days. So I was in the European Union uh, Youth Orchestra and the European Union Baroque Orchestra at the same time. So I was always trying to balance which I wanted to do. So when I was never feeling happy in symphony orchestras, I said, well, you know, my, my outlet is, is this Baroque and early music, which always continues at the same time um, throughout the career. And then more recently, so I'm, I'm 43 now, maybe the last five or six years is my uh, professional uh, midlife crisis. So now I've kind of gone a bit in, into the dark side, as they say. I'm doing no. a lot of, <laughs> I'm doing a lot of uh, conducting and directing now from, from harpsichord. And then um, I spent a lot of my life these days actually doing um, operas and working with symphony orchestras, doing classical music, Baroque repertoire. And I'm really enjoying it. But this is the new, the new direction, uh, as it were. So I think you, that's a very um, uh, short version of of me from the beginning to now. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, it, yeah. It's what's wonderful uh, listening to you to your whole um, journey. And uh, I studied in Lugano actually in the south. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, study with uh, Azzolini. But he came and he played in the radio. Yeah. I see. Yeah. You yeah. had a chance to meet him too. You, 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 he's such a huge personality. I, I, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You're very. Um, how you say, the ultimate musician. I think you know. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Right. Yeah, because he's he's very profound, right? Yeah, about music. It's yeah. True. He he's especially for something like Vivaldi and dealing with an Italian person and an Italian school of playing, and he's so passionate. You know, like sometimes. Um, the lessons would stretch on for 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 hours. Um, I remember one one particular occasion they gave him the key to the school in in Basel, and you know he he I had one lesson. Maybe they can't do this anymore, but I had one lesson that was supposed to start at midnight on Sunday, 
um, because it was the only time you could find. But we were there until three in the morning, all playing these Vivaldi concertos, always in the class, which is a very nice touch. Actually, we, we had to accompany each other. So we had to play the orchestra parts for the person who's doing the soloist. So you learn a lot, you know, by playing uh, and playing all the different parts, you know, reading the viola parts. And that's a really good way of getting into the music very deeply. So you understand everything. And then, of course, he has his own poetry on top of that. Um, I went to visit him. I was doing a gig with, um, I worked as well in the, in the Mahler Chamber Orchestra for about five years. And we, we were doing something in um, Basel. And I passed by the school where, where he's working. And I saw the light was on in his room. So I said, oh, I'm going to try and, and see you know, this nice memories of being inside. And I, I knocked on the door and there was a class going on inside. And around the perimeter of the room were so many students just all looking uh, in a, an adoring way at him. Like every space, was around, there was nowhere to sit, basically, because he had this big audience. And he described it as being like, I said, oh, it's like a television show, you know, like everybody's going to, to watch this class. But uh, yeah, it's very... Um, like you said, profound and, uh, and charismatic character, especially, you know, uh, coming from the no more northern part of Europe and um, especially Ireland and the uh, UK, this Italian way of thinking uh, is so different as well. You know, we were much, much more reserved in, in, in my part of the world. And it just was nice as a teenager or in early 20s to, to experience that Um but also all the, to experience all the different kinds of students who came to him as well. There was a big mix, you know, people walking to the class at different times to say hello. Or, you know, I remember um, Joost and Bram making an appearance who are not so different in age to me. And um, yeah, you know, some some big Italian players as well. But it was always fun. And, and I, all those connections stay very close to me uh, these days. Mm. Yeah, I remember because he played, he played the Mozart in the radio in uh, Lugano. And then when he ended, he he actually did like a flourish that I I was really surprised. I was like, oh, <laughs> the first time I saw such a you know like very soloistic um, bassoonist yeah. you know in my life. So I was like, oh. And then we went back to meet him. <laughs> then yeah, we spoke to him a little bit. Yeah. It's it's but it, he says himself um, that it's very difficult to be his student because some people are so inspired by him that they almost become like him. But the important thing is to realize that, you know, he is his own person and that you then have to find yourself, your own voice afterwards. Um, and that can be difficult for some people because, you know, the, like, like you say, it's so inspiring and all these flourishes and these amazing soloistic individual voice that he has. And then you have to go back and, you know, do your auditions and work in symphony orchestras and fit in and also find yourself. But you are, very few people are, are like him in the end. So you need to be, quite independent minded to to survive it if you know what i mean you have to you have to mm. come out and try to be yourself or the world says oh he's trying to copy i would really like to have him on the podcast but i know he's kind of allergic to like computers and technology right <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't have much contact with him these days but i think he uh, I, he didn't have a, a like a handy or a mobile phone or a, or email for the longest time and i don't know if he still does you have to find the way to approach him so uh, yeah, yeah. It could be could be difficult. <laughs> yeah, it could. Yeah, it, it could be quite difficult. But anyway, I, I would like to find out more. Um, so you clearly found a really um very interesting um niche for yourself, right? So could you explain uh how you chose to focus on like baroque bassoon and uh, how you found this pathway for yourself? 
Um, sure. I, I guess with the Baroque music, it's it's the kind of music that I always wanted to listen to. When I had a chance to listen to music when I was a teenager, um, it's the kind of music that appeals to me most directly. And um, I've always felt with the bassoon that um, like the bassoon is not the most important thing for me ever. It's the kind of music that I'm making with other people. So um, sometimes I feel a bit, not, not allergic, but I'm a bit suspicious of you know, schools of, of bassoon, which are just for bassoon, you know, where we're going to be, of course, you have to be, have great technique, you have to work really hard. But ultimately, what we're doing is finding ourselves as musicians, how to speak your voice, whatever instrument you play, and how to make music with other people. And that for me was always the number one. So I never felt like bassoon is the, is everything, uh, rather that it's just a way to, to speak. And um, the music I wanted to do most, or I'd like to listen to most, was well, was Baroque music and and kind of early music recordings. I love the recordings of Musica Antiqua Köln, and they did the Brandenburgs in a very kind of techno way. Uh, and I remember this was really, uh, um, it, it was very closely mic'd, very strong rhythms, very strong colors. And uh, as a teenager, I listened to this a million times. I said, I want to make music like this. But coming from from Ireland, a small place, I, I couldn't find the way into that. So of, of course, you, you you follow the world pushes you a different way into symphony orchestras uh, and youth orchestras, which was which was great fun. Um, but yeah, I, I guess that's how I I I, I you know my, my heart w- was with this older older music and the, the kind of sounds that the older instruments can can make. But I was also happy to make to play in the modern modern orchestra too. So slowly, I suppose I, I found my my own voice with the with the, with early early music. I think there's a, there's a stage in your career when you are you're doing auditions, you are following the advice of other people. You you know these big names of of people. You say, well, I need approval from this person. I want to be like this person. But actually, it doesn't get you very far because you cannot be that person. You have eventually to be yourself and to find the mm-hmm. voice that that works for you. And that takes a bit of time. Um, uh, at least for me, uh, maybe it's like late twenties, thirties, I started to think, well, what is it that I want to to do? What 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 kind of music? Uh, you know, we have a certain amount of time um, as professional musicians. What would I like to say? What would I like to explore? And that took me back to to my home country. So I, I remember, of course, playing Mozart, uh, Bach, Handel, all these great composers, uh, Beethoven, with amazing locations around Europe. And then you be you you become aware of of your own limitations. So I know how I can play Beethoven six on a good day and on a bad day, um, and you know very little conductors can say and do can change that. So I felt like okay, um, I need something else to challenge my creativity after after a while, um, because you know being in an orchestra, you it's very tough. It's a very difficult um, profession, but. Um, yeah, at the same time, you're, it's also an office job. You have to fit in with everybody around you in such a, a fine way. Um, but I needed to break out from that a, a little bit and, and, and make, make my, own, my own decisions. And yeah, so I, I came back to the music from my own country, from Ireland. Um, you know, the thing Ireland is famous for, we've got two classical music famous things which are not, not that famous. But uh, Handel first performed Messiah in Dublin in 1742. And John Field, who invented the, the the nocturne, he was born there too. Mm. And that's all anybody knew about it. So I decided to do a little bit of work in researching, you know, what was happening in the 18th century in, in my country. Of course, politically very difficult time, but music was what interested me. And um, I decided to do a little experiment about uh, 
what the music scene was like in, in Dublin when Handel arrived. And first of all, I was looking at bassoon pieces. So you, you could check newspaper articles. Bassoonists were a big deal. Um, you, you have lots of little concerts of benefit concerts for bassoonists. And I tried to kind of track down some of this music. And on my CD, The Proud Bassoon, I have a few little pieces connected to, to Ireland. But then I found there was a much bigger world there that I couldn't really explore with just bassoon. So I said, I'm going to get some friends together. Um, I have some keyboard skills. I'm going to you know, go back to harpsichord and try to direct people um, this way. And of course, you know, at the beginning, you're really terrible, but your friends, if they're nice, they'll try to get the best out of you. So you, you get experience that way. And uh, yeah, slowly from doing that, we discovered some pieces from Dublin. Then you get invitations to do bigger pieces with singers and with, with, with orchestras, and that developed in, in, in its own way. Um, so initially, it was my group called Marcias that we, we, we started you know, exploring, first of all, wind music, um, uh, old bassoon music that wasn't explored so much, like Selenka and Fash, and then into this world of um, Irish Baroque music and then directing and conducting. So that's the kind of little, that's where, 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 where it all, all, all started. Oh. Nice. What what does it mean, Masias? Is there a meaning behind it, Masias? Yeah, everybody gets very confused by it. I, I didn't think the group would do very much work, so I, I didn't give it really enough thought. But Marcius is like he's um he's a well, there's, there's two Greek, there's a Greek god, Apollo, who's the god of, of music, but also of string instruments. And then Marcius is not quite a god, but he's like um a satyr. He's kind of um he looks a bit like a goat, and he challenged um um Apollo to a, a competition as Marcius was really good at playing the pipes so he's a woodwind god basically and he challenged um uh, the string uh, god to a competition and they had a, they had a good fight like uh, Marcius did good with his, his little oboes or whatever he was playing his aulos but in the end Apollo won the competition and then Marcius had a really terrible end so they um the punishment for for challenging the gods was that they cut his skin open which is uh, in english you call it flaying so you, so there's a lot of statues um of Marcius where his skin is half removed so you can kind of see the muscles inside it's very gory and and not so nice but uh i just thought it was a nice little idea to give the strings a little competition for a while like playing selenka playing fast notes playing these beautiful long lines in the fash that people didn't know about. So it's just trying to represent the, um, the woodwind side for, 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 for a few moments, at least. I see. So you, you did your own uh, double read uh, revenge. <laughs> <laughs> it's so okay. music. You, you know, you have to call up your friends, uh, especially the Baroque oboists, you know, you have to, you have to buy them a, a, a few um, bottles of wine and then slowly introduce the topic of maybe we should do another concert of Zelenka. And they're like, oh, they, oh. they really a lot of encouragement uh, to work themselves. <laughs> yeah, Zelenka, a lot of stamina, right? You, you really need to go for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, so, um, yeah I, I had a feeling that Maybe do you do a lot of research? How do you um, playing all these things like authentically, like you know, like if you're a specialist in Baroque music? Yeah. Um the thing is we, you know, you 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 can try to play something uh, authentically, um, but you can never know if you're doing it right. Like who knows? You 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 cannot tell if you've got it right. Um, but the the fun on this in the game of the early music game is trying to find a way. Um so it's never correct to say this is the right way 
you know that I, sometimes there's a little you know um, prejudice between the in inverted commas modern world and baroque world um uh and uh, throughout my life it's always been tricky you know when when i've done auditions um for symphony orchestras they say oh he's too baroque and if i do baroque groups they go no he's too modern you know so it's, it's, it's a, there's a there's a slight separation between the worlds um but yeah, the, the the I think for me the interesting game of, of of the historical performance or the authentic performance is trying to find a new way to think about the music that we already know, and that can be from using the instruments from the time. Maybe you'll find an interesting detail about how the reeds were different, which is which is a case in that. Well, what what can this information give us? Maybe I can't do it myself, but I might learn something from that. The kind of sound that maybe we're not right. used to. So it's like being a detective and trying to work your way backwards. Um, and as I say, the important thing to remember is you, you don't know, there's no right way. Um, uh, and you, you can never, we don't have a recording from that time, so we cannot say that we found us. So it's always a journey to, to try to discover, to try to open uh, new possibilities. I suppose that we can get closer to, you know, what a composer wanted, like uh, Vivaldi, Zelenka. Um, we, we know what instruments were available at the time. You know, they sometimes they're not in good playing condition. Very often the crook or the vocal doesn't uh, exist anymore. So we have to make a little guess of what, what would have happened. Um, but this, yeah, this kind of opens your mind. There's nobody telling you what to do. You have to find yourself the, the best way. And you have to be always very suspicious if somebody tells you that they know the correct answer, because that that's very rarely the case. And... You know, what happens as well, you know, there's a lot of fabulous early music um, specialists who've been playing in the 80s and 90s, and they develop their own beautiful style, but it's a very um, uh, conventional style now. We all know how this sounds, we know how this is, um, and it's just, it, it sits parallel to the modern world. But um, this also is a guess. These people don't really know, and, it, and it's, maybe it's become a bit too shiny, a bit too polished, a bit too safe. Um, because the early music world before that in the like 60s, early 70s was really experimental and people doing contemporary music, the most contemporary music, were very often the same people looking at the old music at the same time. So it's like a laboratory. And um, this for me is, is, is a really um, interesting way of thinking about it. But we don't have a lot written down, especially for bassoon. You know, there's, there's only a few... Um, you know, treaties is written about bassoon, and sometimes they're so confusing. The things that they say about the bassoons are so seem so crazy when we read them. Um, so we have to look at like flute and recorder um, treatises, and then there's ones for keyboard and for for singing. But we also have to remember that when people, when somebody sits down to write their technique, um, it's very often they're doing this after they have been a professional. So they're often they're retired, they're sitting at home, they finally have time. And they're right. Well, you should do it like this and this, but. Uh, Maybe when they were younger, that was not the case. But there are other kind of inspirations we can take. We're, I know we're missing a lot for, for bassoon, but um, you know you can read look look at paintings from the time and how colorful and perfect and exciting they are. Um, you can you can use the music scores themselves. Um, you can even use like poetry and, and and literature from the time to find out a bit more about the music. And uh, I find yeah I find that really really interesting. I, I find for instance with um, oboe and bassoon in the 18th century. It's really interesting to see that they always got paid. Uh, some of these virtuoso got paid so much more than anybody else, even more than singers. They were huge celebrities. Um, and bassoonists would make like the newspapers. People would talk about somebody's solo, how they would clap in the, in the, in, during the concert when they heard a beautiful bassoon solo. We're very far from that nowadays. But uh, 
if the, these instruments that we play were so important back then, maybe there's something we're missing now, or we've, we, we need to change a little bit the psychology about how we present um, our you know, amazing instruments. Mm, wow. I, I didn't know that, that there were celebrities here. Oh, yeah. Families, oh. a lot of the time, who traveled around. I, like they, they think, for instance, if, if you look at the, the, you know, the virtuoso writing of Vivaldi, uh, Zelenka, Fash, there's another guy called Reichenauer, um, and there are several people writing like this. They think it was one family or a school of bassoonists and oboists who were able to play semiquavers, and they just traveled around Europe backwards and forwards. Maybe they were guarding quite jealously their, their abilities. But it, if, it's, it's more than a coincidence to see that the writing is so similar between all of these composers. I think they were writing for these, these virtuosi, these, um, these celebrity uh, oboes and bassoonists at the time. Oh, well, that's really nice. We can uh, take some uh, inspiration from that, certainly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because before we started recording, we were just talking about how to approach um, pieces that we have studied a long time, right? Like Mozart and Vivaldi, right? Do you have other uh, ways to do that? Or? Um. I, I think it's just so important, especially when we're talking to students and, and when we play bassoon, we come to the same pieces again and again. Um, and we have to find ways to make them feel fresh for ourselves and, and for the people who are listening to the music, because sometimes it can become so normal, you know, like the opening phrase of, of Mozart's bassoon concerto, that we've all uh, struggled with it. We've all taught it to lots of our students. Uh, we've played it lots in every audition. It's associated with, you know, early morning starts feeling nervous, you know, walking into a room uh, and having to do this, the same little piece. Um, so I spend a lot of my time trying to, you know, you know, work out what we can use to inspire us to think about this. Um, especially to think of the piece, um, with the ink wet on the page. I think that's a very useful way of thinking about it. Like why did Mozart sit down to write this concerto? Why was, uh, why did Weber write a bassoon concerto? What was the inspiration? What did he hear? Who approached him um, to do this, and what was the re what might have been the reason? With Mozart and uh, uh, Weber, we know a bit more, but Mozart, we don't know so much information. We we have a couple of names of people at, at the Salzburg court who could could have been there. So we have to um, try to make the 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 interpretation fresh each time. And I, I can only say for myself what 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 I use with students and for myself to to make the the piece feel fresh again. But I think if we listen to, for instance, in the Mozart, if we listen to other operas he's writing about at the same time, um, he often uses, you know, B flat major, this kind of music at the beginning of the of the Mozart concerto. He it's used for like um, uh, the uh, like a, a lover's father, like somebody in the military, like an older man, a baritone would would sing something to that music, a little bit pompous, a little bit kind of military style. Um, uh, so you can you can find little examples of music that's quite similar to to this uh, and then then feed in start, start from there but um i guess using the old instruments as well is another really inspiring um tool because if you have the classical bassoon of mozart's time you see that the limit of the instrument is really you know from the low b flat obviously the same as, as modern and then the high b flat which when you play that b flat on on a, on a classical bassoon it feels like playing a high f on a, on, a, on a on a modern bassoon it's really a stretch and when you play um, Mozart on, on modern bassoon, you don't get that feeling. Like the high B flat is very much in the comfortable range of the instrument. But um, 
uh, one of my favorite moments in the in the first movement of the of, of the Mozart concerto is that is that moment that goes all the way up to the B flat, which when you're playing on the old instrument is not guaranteed to come out at all. So what, what, can, what can really happen is like a big squeak. Um, and it's quite funny because Mozart answers this, this high note when the oboes and horns are this. Um, so it's almost like they're laughing at you um, if you don't get it. Like he's la- you can see Mozart in the audience laughing at making you play this high note again. Or you succeed in getting the high note and they're, they're like applauding you. They're delighted that you, you manage this high note. So it feels much more like you're in a circus on, on the old instrument. Like you're, you're, you really have to try to, very hard to get, to get these notes out. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, for, for me, I, I can imagine somebody, uh, a bassoonist approaching him going, please write me a concerto. These are the things I can do. Um, I want them all to, to, it's like a curriculum vitae. It's like a biography of, of, of this guy or whoever it was as a bassoonist. And you can, you can just see Mozart after the very first few bars, he's, he's, he's giving you this little curriculum vitae of bassoon. Dun, dun. You can play um, um, arpeggios and then you can do this cantabile phrase and then little, little chromatic crying thing. Then you can do low C, low notes, high notes. You have everything all at once. And then you have this. And this is such weird music. This I, I always reminds me these, these um, trills are like a giant, um, you know, bumblebee flying in your face. It's very like, it's very kind of aggressive, weird music. Um, but maybe this bassoonist was saying, I can do this, this amazing little trick. Uh, and I'm also just, okay. <laughs> that into, the, into the music for you. Um, it goes on like this, you know, like the, 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 there's so many little stories you can add to yourself. And I know so many bassoonists have different take on, on all of this, but you need to find for yourself what, 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 what makes the music come to life in performance. So if I feel like I'm trying to show everything I can do in, in, in eight bars and, and, the, and the high notes are like a circus act. He doesn't, Mozart hardly writes um, high B flats. He only does three for bassoon ever, I think. One is in a domineo, and then two in the two in the in, in the concerto. But he always approaches it with really with care. Um, like at the end of the of the of the first movement, he's most of the he stops the whole orchestra there, and that you just have the support from the winds and the horns. And so it gives you all the time you need to go up to the high note and then come back down again. So he's very considerate and also humorous the way he deals with that. But um, I think with the with the bassoon concerto as well, we're so lucky because he's only he's very young. He's seventeen or something when he writes the piece, and I think the slow movement of the of of our bassoon concerto is his first really great piece. Like this is you can you can trace all of his most wonderful works, his later works from that moment because it's absolutely magic, you know. Um, uh, and that's the you know movement we have to really celebrate. I think out, out of that concerto, but it's just totally genius with the you know the, the, the muted strings um with the classical instrument it 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 hums it sings so beautifully you don't have all of the 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 for, for people who don't play old instruments you, you don't have as much key work or scaffolding on the back so you have to make the instrument you have to coax the sound out and make it really sing but in this slow movement it's it's an absolute gift you know the, the, that that c um is one of the sexiest notes on the on the baroque instrument you, you just have to make it purr like a cat to make the first note come out it will not be strong or weak it just has to be exactly in the right point 
and then you were singing immediately, which is a such a such a joy. Wow! Yeah, yeah. I I, I heard that that he actually wrote what three to five concertos, but they were lost, right? Yeah, I heard that too. It's very difficult to know exactly how many he wrote. He probably wrote more, um, but some of the concertos that he's supposed to have written are turn out to be by other composers like Davienne. Um, but it, it, at least we have this one, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a pity you think about all the other uh, possibilities we would have had from from Mozart, and we don't have a manuscript of this one piece either, so we have to use the first edition. So maybe there's also some little mistakes in there too. But there's always new ways to think about it. Um, I just just talking to you about the the music now, the the the, the slow movement again. I just remember doing the the recording of it. Um, um, and you have the little development section, the tiny little middle section of the slow movement, which is so tragic in you know, the little E flat moment. And it's so uh. sad. Yeah. Um, but I think it's the shortest development section. If, if you study the, the, you know, the, the, um, the theory of, of, of the piece, it's, it's only maybe three or four bars long, but it's too tragic um, to last long. Uh, and and he, he has to turn um, the music very uh, immediately out of this minor mode key that, a F sharp E flat, so sad and, and so um, juicy on, on the old instrument as well. Then the oboes uh, come in immediately, which are like the sun coming out. The oboes are always a very positive influence on the bassoon in, in, in the concerto. And then he turns it back into major almost immediately. But it's it's really an exceptional piece. We're so lucky to have it. And we have to find ways to, you know, to be uh, evangelists for the piece, so to sell it to audiences again, to make people love why what we have is so great. Ah, that's it, evangelist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sell it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, um, uh, I was also uh listening to your other album, the Observations on Air. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's so fascinating. Um, do you mind maybe sharing a little bit about that? The how did that project happen actually? Well, it was an orchestra I worked for in London, uh, or I used to work for, called the Orchestra of the Age of Enlightenment. And they um, tend to do, um, you know, music on, on and you know authentic or historically in, 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 informed um, instruments or performance practices. But they had a plan to to commission new pieces for for old instruments. So they 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 were going through the orchestra, and I was lucky enough to to get one of these commissions from a guy called Michael Gordon, who. Um, was commissioned to write this piece. I think he'd written uh, quite a few bassoon pieces before. There's one called Rushes that he wrote for like multiple bassoons, which is a very effective piece. Uh, the trippy one, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, it's tricky. It goes on for a long time, and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. effectively good. And uh, he um, came to visit me when I was in, in in Edinburgh, and we sat down together, and he turned on his phone, and he just pressed record, and then he, he went through every single note on the on the classical bassoon, the same one that we use for Mozart. And uh, he said, is this possible? Is this possible? Which slurs are possible? But then he, uh, you know, he, his mind was working in a very different way. Uh, he was very interested in multiphonics, which sometimes happened by accident on the, on the old instruments, but we were, we were studying all of these uh, extra sounds. Then he wanted to, you know, to take the instrument apart and find different ways to, to make different sounds. I guess uh, he, was, he, he knew very little about, you know, the early music world, so for him, it was a very open-minded collaboration, and uh, we recorded that. I think it, uh, yeah, I think it must be on on Spotify. Um, the slow movement of that too is really fascinating. It's full of um, full of uh, glissandi in the orchestra, very slow. I think it's a very effective piece, and um, 
he pushed me quite hard to play really high notes on the on, on the bassoon too, and they come out quite well. I, I, it was interesting because it, it's it's possible to do um, high Cs and and Ds and C sharps as well. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the the, the, the process. It's completely different kind of experience doing doing this 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 music with him, and it just shows you can you know get inspiration from these instruments and in, old instruments in, in different ways. So this was an interesting experiment in, in trying out a different um, direction with that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's such a good piece. It should be played more. I just feel that it's really, uh, it's a uh, really a uh, worth its weight. Yeah. Nice. That's good uh, yeah. to hear. Yeah. I meant to speak to you as well, Joanne. I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. I, I, I've been listening to a few um, when I've been traveling quite a lot recently and uh, I've had such a such a good time. I love listening to uh, Roger Burns' singles one, and um, I had a lot of fun listening to uh, uh, Ola Christian's one as well. And it reminded ah. me when I was starting out, um, um, when I was a you know a teenager in Ireland, um, I, I didn't have so much contact with the rest of the world. And we once did we had a wind quintet and we did a competition in in France and we were so nervous these five little Irish people um, going over and we met we, it was a quintet who were playing in the competition against us uh, who of course uh, uh, did much better including uh, Ola Christian and um, I remember thinking oh my god this guy is so amazing who is he and we started this correspondence together um, uh, and I, I think I must still have the letters somewhere and he was. So so kind and he shared so much information and he sent me little this is before uh, internet it's an embarrassing long time ago no emails but he sent me little pictures of how he would add wires and the, like he was really open about sharing information and I was, I was just I, I totally forgotten about that until I was listening to him but uh, it was such a kind gesture that he was sharing the information he still does of course you know all, all the students I have are always really uh, you know hungry to go to him and uh, you know he, he's just grown from strength to strength with this information that he that he he, he, he shared but I, i'd forgotten that little detail at the beginning uh w- with him I, i've met him a, a couple of times since we went for for a drink near the, when he was teaching at the royal college but he's always um a lot of fun to to catch up with him yeah i i found out about him um before he i think he was just with play with the pro Yes, yeah, uh, so, and then yeah, yeah. and then yeah, and then it blew up with drills, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's very kind because when I first interviewed him, I lost the audio, <laughs> so oh. I was really yeah, because I I was new to this uh, platform, I didn't know about Zoom. Yeah, and so and and then I figured it out by the time uh, he he was free, then I was traveling, so I just had to make do with very bad Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, it came yeah. across very entertaining to listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I put the questions in my purse. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, I, uh, so um, yeah, I, I would like to find out also, um, how did you get started with uh, conducting and then uh, eventually becoming artistic director? How did that happen? Um, I think that that, that that happened just through, um, I, I think with conducting and especially say opera conducting, I think if you go into the world and you say, I want to be a conductor, I want to be an opera director, it will never happen because it just seems such a crazy thing to do. So for, for me, I, I just, just happened, like I, I think I, I was explaining that, that I was doing some work with my group to try and kind of expand. I wanted to explore more repertoire in the first place from, from Ireland. And I was using my friends. Um, as, as not as guinea pigs, but like they were, they were being very kind to me and that we were working together and I was doing this new thing with my hands. 
and nobody complained that much to my face at least and and then from from there um we had some uh you know some some other people who heard some consciousness said oh you must come and work with this group and then it started to develop from there and then you have to learn how to 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 communicate in a different way but the, you know the, the advantage of playing the bassoon is that we have so much information we uh, bassoonists we 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 you know, we can play the bass line we we understand how that works we also get to play all of the inner parts you know we understand viola parts we can be a tenor soloist um we can be an unimportant middle parts we can find where the harmony goes and then of course you know occasionally we are soloists we're we're on the top but not many instruments have that skill set and also it's a wind instrument so when you are working i find when i'm working with singers um they love when you breathe with them if you breathe like you're going to play your bassoon they're happy they know where to come in uh, and and they the only thing they don't like from conductors is when there's nothing if you don't breathe with them or you're just showing with your hand they don't know anything so if 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 the whole time you imagine that you're you're trying to give yourself the best possible breath you know you're breathing with them <gasps> slowly and very visibly and you can use your hands at the same time to show they're delighted so that's all it takes of course there there's there's an art to conducting as well there's some to some technique but the technique isn't um as difficult as it is to play a violin or a bassoon you know that technique is really difficult conducting technique isn't conducting is mostly about uh for me anyways about enabling people to do their best being the person who puts a shape on 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 everything so um you know playing playing baseline basso continuo you have to get from a to b but there are many different ways to get from a to b so i'm driving the 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 car but we can go many different directions so i like other people's ideas to hang on top of what 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 i'm doing but of course you learn a lot you know you meet different bunches of people sometimes it's very easy you have a, a fun time sometimes you have more challenges or you find people who are maybe not in the mood that particular week or don't really like playing anymore so you have to find a way to take the group as a whole especially with big orchestras um and the big difference uh, is i i found when i play bassoon that i'm mostly focused on the concert i'm nervous about the concerts i i'm saving my read hoping that that will be good for that moment but with conducting or directing the most difficult thing is to walk into the room the very first day to walk from the back of the room onto the stage because you have to that you have to trust that they will respond to you and that you can speak to them and get your ideas across by the time the concert comes you've said everything you can and it's now up to them and you have to hold it together a bit but the work is mostly done whereas in the for the musician it's the opposite way around so it's a i learn a lot all the time it's really 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 fascinating but i try my best not to be like the conductors who who really irritated me when i was in the orchestra there's so many people who have tried to control every small detail or are really interested in you know they look great in a mirror when they conduct like some some young conductors but uh there's actually not a lot of music if even if there's music coming out it's not they're not accepting music coming back from the players you have to be very open and take ideas so i try to do this of course i'm you fail uh, a lot of the time but the, at least the, the hope is that you can really engage with the musicians who are working with and make them play to their best also uh, the other thing i find really amazing in orchestra over the years is how quietly a lot of conductors want for soon to play i remember like um uh, some great conductors like abado would would really insist that they couldn't hear the bassoon ever and you're sitting at the back of the orchestra with a huge stick so that why why does it have to be so quiet like the composer can't imagine these huge sticks to make zero sound like there were people putting sponge inside their bassoon to kill the sound fabulous so, bassoon so, sorry what what did they put inside 
they put like um, sponge, you know, like um, <gasps> to to block the sound. That they would they put it inside the bell and the the, the long joint to kill the sound a bit because they were so nervous of these great maestros. But like, why does it need to be so quiet? When people hear the bassoon, they're happy. People love to hear our instruments, and uh, um, of course, you know, maybe with you know, big, huge modern instruments, maybe it can be too loud sometimes, but mostly if somebody's playing well, it's nice to hear. So um, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that with, with working with, with woodwinds too, that, you know, it's a sound, if people are happy playing their instrument, if they're feeling, they're using the air in a generous way, if they're engaged with the music, this is much more important than micromanaging and controlling, you know, you have to play, as I say, uh, that's not at all interesting to me. But um, yeah, that's the new new journey I'm on. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I, I remember my friend told me a funny story. He was playing contrabassoon and the conductor, I won't say where it was, <laughs> conductor was like too loud, too loud. And then he just didn't play, but he pretended. <laughs> then he went like, yes, that's perfect. <laughs> and then he was like, oh. <laughs> and then he left, he left the orchestra after that. <laughs> Oh, it's true. It's ex- I, I've, we've all done the same thing, you know. That that that, that sometimes if you, you 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 know after years in orchestra, you realize that sometimes if you don't play at all, they don't notice that you're you're not even there. Or I, I as a, a tip I give to my um, to students sometimes is just um, if somebody asks you to play something quieter um, and it's not you really can't or it's not comfortable anymore, just you need to change the shape of your eyebrows. If you lift them up higher, the conductor thinks you're trying harder. <laughs> you just do the same thing. Um, but, uh, and it happens all the time, like these little tricks that people do, like if you're playing Brahms violin concerto in an audition or, or Tchaikovsky six in an audition, very often they will ask you immediately to play, the, play it quieter again, even if it's already quiet, just to see how you can react to that and how your body reacts. Uh, the, and the trick is, you know, you, you can't suddenly make it do much less. You just have to pretend that it looks like it's more difficult for you the second time or something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> the tips and tricks. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you have such a amazing uh, career, you know, so how do you balance everything? Do you make time for like self-care and for rest? How do you do it? Um, no, I should, <laughs> I should do more of that. I, I have a few things I do. Um, um, like I, um, I enjoy going to the gym sometimes. I think that's one good way to, to get out of my head and, and going for, for, for walks. But you, you know, like, like all musicians, it's totally, it can take all of your time if you let it, you know, you can spend all day doing things to do with music and it's, it's hard to escape from that. Um, but I, I find it really hard, actually, the, to get that balance right that you talk about. Especially recently, if you're traveling to other countries, if you're going away for three months for an opera project, or you're going for one week, in, like, like last week in Finland, I had so much fun. Um, but it's, you, you're out of your, your own uh, routine, and you have to kind of source food again and work out how you're going to do that and exercise. I... I yeah... I, I love doing a little bit of exercise if I can, but it's sometimes it's, it's difficult to, to, to maintain that, especially with the, the adrenaline of concerts. I think that that's a difficult thing for, for musicians as well, because our life can be, there can be such highs from, from a good concert or, or a good moment. And the lows are pretty low too. You know, when you're, you have self doubt or auditions aren't working for you, or you have a group of people who you don't get on with, you can take it very personally. And we, we care so much about music that, that this really makes us go up and down. Um, 
And I, 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 I think the trick is always to try and find a middle ground so that you don't let the, 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 the euphoria or the good times become too much. You don't get, you don't, you know, um, party too hard with that. And when things are low after the adrenaline disappears, you try to pick yourself up a little bit. Um, so that you have a more of a middle balance there. And I think, you know, with going out into nature, walking, um, exercise helps with that. And, and having friends as well who know nothing about music is really, really helpful. Um, because I, I have some really great friends from when I was 14 who don't know really what I'm doing and, and wouldn't, are not at all excited by any consciousness. They say, well, why, why would you get upset? You're going to move on next week. Or uh, it's, it's, I think that's really refreshing to have friends who who are completely outside of our world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely agree <laughs> with you. Uh, so I know you have a, a baby on the way, the Mozart baby. Yeah. So <laughs> when when can we expect this new uh, album to come out? Um, that is coming out on March the 11th. So that's coming out soon. That's um, um, a Mozart's bassoon. And that has the concerto and, and the, the sonata uh, as well, which is I recorded a while back with um, Christian Bezadenhout, who's a wonderful forte pianist. And we do the C minor serenade at the end as well. Um, and I've added double bass to that because I think it just works really well when you have the two bassoons and contra bassoon. But um, I love the little sonata actually too. Uh, um, it only exists still with, um, it says, it's just two lines of music. It says bassoon and then blank, nothing underneath. So we have a little question of what it could be. It could be, of course, for two bassoons, for bassoon and cello, which works very well. But it has been suggested that it can be like a basso continuo part. Like, um, And in this case, we've done that. So Christian is, has used the, the, the lower line for his left hand and then has improvised um, using figured bass techniques from Mozart's time. He's improvised uh um, an accompaniment, which I think is so effective. I think it gives us a whole extra little sonata that we didn't have before. And if, if somebody has really good imagination, like uh, my friend Chris, it can uh, really open up the piece in a, in a new way. So, um, yeah, I, I hope I hope it goes down well. Um, I really enjoyed recording it. I tried a few different techniques. We used, um, uh, for instance, we normally use Baron Reiter parts, but we use the original parts, which are now digitized from the Andre edition. So there's a few little different things in the orchestra. One of the things are, are, are the appoggiatures in the orchestra. You know, you get this, this figure a lot in, in Mozart. But it's written. It's never written as semi-quavers, but we, we automatically accept, you know, when, when we hear it and we see it nowadays. Uh, but actually, the, there's a big possibility between both. Neither are correct. We find examples of both. But I think it's something we can play with as bassoonists. When we see that little figure, we can play it many different ways. So I've tried to do a few experiments to just to say, here's maybe perhaps a new way of doing this. Uh, I keep, keep the cadenzas quite short. There's a, a guy, Kvans, who says you should be able to do all the cadenzas in one breath. So I tried to do that just as an experiment again. don't know if it's right or wrong, but that's what I was trying to do. And um, yeah, so I, I just hope it's, it's nice to have those uh, two solo pieces by Mozart in, in, in one disc. And then... The C minor serenade is there just because it's a great piece and has a really awesome bassoon lick in the last movement, which is just so cool. The little uh, C minor arpeggios, which I really, really enjoyed uh, recording too. But yeah, I think it's coming out. Um, it should be out on Spotify and everything on the on the eleventh of um, of March. So yeah, I hope you enjoy it when it comes out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, certainly. I'll, I'll help you to plug it. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> 
what are you looking forward to next um, uh, later this year? Do you have any uh, upcoming projects? Yeah, so I, I have quite a few things. I, I, I'm, I'm working as artistic director with the, the Irish Baroque Orchestra. So with, with that group now, I continue the exploration of music from, from Ireland and stories about musicians who worked in Ireland, which is always fascinating. There's so many Irish people all over the world. You know that the, um, when, I, when I travel to America, you meet, meet uh, everybody says, oh, I'm Irish. You know, my grandfather was Irish. My great grandfather was Irish. And they love to um, talk about Ireland and to find some culture to do with Ireland that isn't to do with getting drunk on St. Patrick's Day. Like they're really relieved that there's some other culture out there. So uh, that, that, that's always quite quite welcome. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm traveling to America quite a lot at the end of the year. I'm, I'm going to be going to San Francisco, to the San Francisco Opera to conduct Luke Orfeo um, with a great countertenor called uh, Jakob Orlinski. And when I'm over there, I'll be going to Portland um, uh, in Oregon and doing a little bit of teaching in, in Juilliard School, which would be nice. Um, so it's been so long since we've been able to, to travel that um, I'm just really looking forward to going back to that side of the world again and, and exploring that. And in between, there's, there's yeah, quite a few opera projects and um, uh, in Europe. And um, I'm going back to Finland in a few weeks and then uh, Beethoven Orchestra in, in Bonn. Um, and then to my old orchestra, Scottish Chamber Orchestra, I'm going back in to do um, Beethoven 8th Symphony with them, which is weird because they're the people I've played with for 10 years. And then they're look, you're on the other side and they're all staring at you. Uh, I've been in a couple of times since, but it's a, it's a really strange <laughs> feeling having your colleagues looking at you. I see. Um, so, oh, so you're going to both uh, West Coast and East Coast of the US. Yeah. Yes, I'm going on a little yeah. trip. Across. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Later in the year. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's that's so cool! Yeah, yeah. I really like to uh, thank you for your time. Um, could you just teach me one pickle Irish slang? I don't know. What should I know? Yeah. So, do, do you want to? Um, we what well, we we Irish language is really it's really difficult. So we have Irish slang that's English language things that we say, um, but we also have our own language. We have Irish like Gaelic, which is it just feels like something from the Game of Thrones. It's really really. Uh, ancient language, um, but it's it's quite complicated. So um, what what you can say is here's something quite useful. So if you're saying cheers, um, like when you're drinking, what we say in Ireland is slauncha, which means health. So slauncha, slauncha, excellent. Uh, That's uh, okay. So slauncha. <laughs> slauncha. Sorry, I have only water now. Well, yeah, it, you say it's water. It could be something stronger. Who knows? <laughs> oh, no. I have to save my voice. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's been lovely talking to you. I, I would like to thank you for your time and uh, I wish you all the best for the upcoming uh, tours. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Joanne. It's a real pleasure yeah. talking to you and keep up the great work. It's so interesting what you're doing and uh, and kind of sharing and spreading the word about uh, bassoon love. Uh, it's brilliant. Thank you.
And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe or share with your friends. That would mean the world to us. Until next time, goodbye.